What did you eat for breakfast this morning? Um, I actually did not have breakfast this morning. Why did you skip breakfast, Mickey? Because Andrew was giving me multiple orgasms. <laughs> and then my interns showed up to my house and they didn't have time to eat breakfast. Wait, I'm sorry. Let's go back a second. You have interns? <laughs> this is episode 19 with entrepreneur, author, inventor, and my sister from another mister, Mickey Agrawal. Welcome to Touchpoint, a podcast about love, sex, and identity in the modern world. I'm your host, Jared Matthew Weiss. Each week, I chat with an inspiring person that will help you expand your mind, open your heart, and give you one thing to think about on your journey towards great love. Thanks for hanging with me today. Here we go. Too often, we accept things the way they are, leaving ourselves and others without what we really need to self-actualize and grow. Too many desires go unmet, too many dreams go unfulfilled, too many words go unspoken, and too many relationships go on and on without reciprocity or joy. In general, we tolerate things that feel wrong or seemingly could be better because we think, hey, this is just the way things are. After all, it's the way things have always been. But some people don't think that way. Some people are willing to disrupt the status quo in their lives or in the lives of others because they truly believe that things can be better and they commit themselves to making it so. One of those people is Mickey Agrawal. She's the co-founder of the first ever period-proof underwear for women, Thinks, the inventor and founder of Tushy, a new bidet company, and the author of a new book called Disrupt Her, a manifesto for the modern woman, which comes out today. She also happens to be one of my best friends in the world, and I have had the good fortune of receiving her faith, love, and energy on my own journey toward making the world a more open place for us to talk to each other. In this episode, Mickey shares about her new book, her Burning Man love story, the importance of building community, the art of authenticity, the love contract she shares with her husband uh, that also includes some sexual stipulations, the effects of porn on a relationship, and so much more. Mickey is one of the most equally loving and fiercest human beings I know. She's committed to making things better for women, for the environment, for all of us. It was such a blast to have this conversation with her, and I'm grateful for the chance to share it with all of you. Thanks for listening. Here we go. This is like a very exciting thing for me because you're like one of my best friends in the whole world, and so getting to, getting to sit and talk to you and let other people hear our conversation is um, super fun and cool. Yeah, you're one of my bridesmen. I was a bridesman. <laughs> you called me a bridesmaid, but I'm a bridesman. A bridesman. <laughs> um, but I love you, and I'm so grateful that you're here. And I'm glad you. that you're doing this uh, little chat in a onesie because you know how I feel about those. I know you do. It's like pretty much ninety percent of your wardrobe. Yeah, hundred. That, no, 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 no. That plus the uh, what are these? What are these pants called? Oh my god, uh, Crow Collective. Crow Collective. Crow yeah. Collective has the most comfortable pants in the world. You're they welcome, do. Evan. You, they are actually <laughs> the most comfortable pants. I have that's many that's pants. not a paid advertisement. It's we not. Just, it's our friend Evan's company, and they're fucking epic, and everybody should wear them. Crow Collective. 
Okay. So anyway, <laughs> um, Mickey Agrawal is in the house. Mickey, I love you. You are one of my best friends, but you are just a fucking inspiring, world-changing powerhouse. And I think that... Um, it's just, it's an honor to sit and to chat and to let other people witness what I believe is just, you know, just some of your gift and some of your magic. Mm. Um, how are you feeling? I know that you've got a book coming out. Uh, I think we're going to, we're going to release this on the day the book comes out. So the book comes out today. How are you feeling? Yay! <laughs> well, up to now, I have just been working every single day till 10 o'clock at night, 9 a.m. to 10 a.m., just getting all the pieces ready for today. Yeah. And so it's, um, wee, hew. Why, why, the question I have is, why did you write this book? I wrote this book, so it's called Disrupt Her, uh -huh. and it's a manifesto for the modern woman. Um, but And, and I'll, I'll first preface by saying it says, it's called Disrupt Her, and it says a manifesto for the modern woman, but I also in the book talk about how you know, the word, the word man is within woman, just like the word he is within her. And so, you know, you think about books like the Bible and the Torah and the Quran, and they all reference man, man does this, man does that. And you think about like Viktor Frankl's book, Man's Search for Meaning. You think about all of these texts that were Aristotle's texts were all about, you know, he, who, and all about man. And yet women read all of those texts. And so the goal is for this book um, to, you know, is written by a woman for women, but meant to be read by all humans. Yeah. Um, well, I feel men. like, yeah, well, it's interesting because I think that you're really disrupting the per, the perspective of what it, what a woman is and what it means yeah. to be a woman. I mean, and all I, men come from women too, right. right? Well, I have this theory that we were all actually called man at one point, <laughs> And then somebody was like, Nah, that one's got a womb, man. <laughs> Whoa, and that's, I that's think, so good. <laughs> that's where I think it came from. That's where I think it came from. Oh my from. God, Jared, I keep saying Jared needs to be a stand-up comedian immediately. I've only done one set in my he, life. At my wedding. Yeah, you know. <laughs> and you crushed and it. I slayed. No, you slayed it. I think that I was slayed. amazing. Okay, so Disruptor is... <laughs> <laughs> Stay on message, Mickey. So, so Disruptor was really written because I've spent the last 15 years of my life um, looking at categories that are taboo. Um, you think about, I mean, I started in the pizza category and it's not that pizza's taboo. Pizza is very taboo. Pe not, pizza's not taboo, but, but people who actually love pizza do not ever want to stray from the existing, you know, world of pizza. Like they don't want to, you know, they're, they're classic pizza eaters. If you're a Joe's pizza guy, you're a Joe's pizza guy. And don't make me, don't make it gluten-free. Ooh, that sounds disgusting. Organic farm to table, nasty. You know, when I, when I first started Wilds, my gluten-free pizza concept, it was the first gluten-free pizza place in all of New York City. And everyone was just, you know, and organic and farm to table and local and all those buzzwords were not really readily used in 2004, 2005. And so um, it was such an uphill battle and education to get people to try my food. Oh, oh gluten-free, organic, probably tastes like cardboard, you know, stuff like that. And then you fast forward to starting things, period proof underwear company. Oh, no one's going to bleed in their underwear. Sounds disgusting. You mean wash the blood with a out Kickstarter. Of the underwear? Yeah, no one invested. So I had to launch a Kickstarter. A Kickstarter. A Kickstarter. Fucking Mickey. This is somebody who knows how to bootstrap shit. Okay. This is somebody, this is like started from the bottom. Now we're here. A fucking Kickstarter. 
um, and then with Tushy, my most recent company, um, it's it's looking to bring modern bidets to America, mm. and not like those weird, you know, um, French contraptions that sit next to your toilet, nor those very expensive Japanese toilets. But it's a bidet attachment that easily clips onto your existing toilet and turns any toilet into a bidet in ten minutes. And you know, again, people were like bidet you mean spray poop everywhere ha, ha, ha. or like i'm not gonna spray my ass that sounds gay you know like literally that shit is real and people are just you know just like w- like really weird about straying from their the way they've been doing things their whole lives and and so and i've received so much pushback i've i've just gotten every name called my direction it's been <laughs> delivered to me in so many blows and um including a crazy ass takedown as well. I mean, all of it I've delivered, I've, I've received because I'm trying to really help move society in, in, in a, in a forward thinking direction. And so I, and, and you know, what's so interesting is that all these businesses that I started were looking at and disrupting these OG categories, periods, pee, poop, pizza. These are all categories that haven't changed. Puppies are next. Time. Yeah. Mickey Agrawal well, is disrupting puppies. <laughs> um, and, and, again, so much naysaying. And yet now, you know, these companies are, are worth well over $200 million. And so as a result, it's, 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 it's so clear that society who's naysayed about all these things is are wrong. You know, people are willing to try new things. People are interested to move society in the right direction. People are interested in saving 15 million trees from getting flushed down the toilet and replace all those trees with using a, just a pint of fresh water to properly clean your butt. I mean, like people are interested in that stuff. And, and so, so the more I thought about it, I was like, wait a minute, society is wrong about a lot of things, not just these businesses that I've started. They're, they're wrong about pretty much most areas of our lives. Then I did some more digging. It's like, who is society? Well, society was created by people who are no different than you or me, right? M- meanwhile, hundreds of years ago. Disrupting people starts with a P. <laughs> Yeah. And so it's, it's, it's even like, you know, the concept of time. I mean, like the Gregorian calendar, I mean, like all of it is just, that was created hundreds and hundreds of years ago. And we're still, you know, counting time the way we did back then, because just the way it's been, I mean, everything that we've done is the reason why we believe so deeply that it's true. This is just the way it is because our ancestors did it that way. But maybe there's a better way. Maybe there's a better way. Maybe there's a better way to write. You know, the reason why people wrote from right to left from, from, um, depends on what country you're in. Well, exactly. Well, in this, in, in this, in this country or most, most countries now is because most, most people are right handed. And as a result, they didn't want to smudge the ink. But now it's like, you know, people aren't, you know, most people are using computers. Most people aren't writing things anymore. So maybe there's a better way to write. Anyway, it's just in every category. So this, so this book looks at specifically 13 areas in our lives. Um, th- topics like money, like um, relationships, like um, the, just, just the, the concept of stuff and owning stuff. Um, the concept of, you know, getting serious as we get older. You know, the culture of complaining, talking about the patriarchy, feminism, you know, it, it just it covers so many different kind of taboo subjects you know not good to talk about money that you know you shouldn't talk about this that and the other and we just delve deep into 13 specific areas and then disrupt them one by one and how it's how it's how I set them up in the in the book is they start off with common beliefs so you have a common belief like you have to get serious as you grow up and then there's a disruption. No, you don't have to get serious as you grow up. You can still live in a childlike state of curiosity, playfulness, and awe, and be a responsible adult at the same time. You can be both. You can be both. Sorry, I just 
I, I Take a so. breath, Mickey. Yeah. So, <laughs> so you know, like all of those things. I love you. I love you too. Okay, here. Listen, this is what I think. Yeah. Okay, everybody, the book is amazing. Mickey is amazing. But Mickey, you you do something that is profound and it's it's why I really wanted to talk to you today because Touchpoint all we've done is create a space for conversation where there was none and it turned out that a lot of people wanted to have the conversation they just needed permission mm. there's another p word <laughs> but permission is really that's your thing mm. and you've given people permission to talk about things that they hadn't had before and it started you know with really in a big way with talking about periods and now you're on to poop and sanitation. And, uh, and in a big way, you know, you're talking about, you know, feminism and, and, uh, and just so many cultural moments that I think it, it comes from a place of like, I, I don't know where it comes from, but I know that after witnessing so many people who are starved for conversation or don't know how to get started, I guess what I want to know is like, where did you gain the confidence to talk about things that make you and possibly the people you're talking to very uncomfortable? Because that is the thing that you do. And you find these mediums like through invention and through entrepreneurialism to do it. But you just are not afraid to have the conversation. And where did that start? Did that start at home? Did that start with your family? Can you can you tell us a little bit about like young Mickey and where where that where that comes from? Because that's it. That's the secret sauce is that you just know how to say the thing out loud that that people are thinking or feeling but are afraid to articulate. So where does that come from? Where did that start? I mean, well, for thank you. And first of all, I I think it's it's so sometimes to me it just maybe I'm just such a naive person and I'm like I'm literally might be like a kid I mean I don't drink coffee because I feel it tastes bitter I same thing with alcohol but I just feel like I don't understand why things are off limits to talk about like you know I just that's the thing I just, were they I just, off limits in your house growing up could yeah, you talk about things with your parents not really. could you talk about periods and poop with your parents I mean, we definitely talked about poop. My you did. dad talked a lot about poop for okay. sure. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, but not about periods. No, definitely not about periods. But we just, I, I think, I mean, I, I, I think it started out with the fact that I'm an identical twin, and I think having identical twin really helps because um, when you're a twin, you, you are constantly just like checking each other. You're always like, you're always like, wait, um, why do you sound so weird? Why do you sound, you sound, you're not, you don't sound like yourself. And so we've never really grown up in the way that like, you know, when you grow up by, you know, you grow up, you leave your siblings and you go to school and then all of a sudden you're like at a lunch table looking for friends to hang out with, with your tray and like figuring out who to sit with. I've never had that problem. I always had someone with me at every lunchroom and so I was always able to like have a buddy and so I, I just think that I've never I've always been able to talk about everything without feeling the pretend like I've had to put on a face whereas I feel like sometimes when you're on your own it's mm -hmm. a little nerve-wracking to enter a room and you're on your own and you're just you want to blend in and you want to fit in and you want to be cool and you want to be accepted and you want to feel like you know you're you're worthy of a friend and I think 
that that sometimes make makes people more afraid to speak openly because they don't want to offend anyone. They want to make friends. They want to be accepted. They want to be loved. And I think for me, I was just lucky enough that I was born with an identical twin hmm. where I always had a buddy with me. Was there, was there a time when you were, when you were coming of the age that you, uh, when you did sit with the people and, and put an idea out there and people were just like, what the fuck is, where is that coming from? Maybe it was with a partner. Maybe it was with, you know, did you ever find yourself in that situation where, you know, and, and where did that, I guess, where did that, how do you overcome that? How do you? Yeah. You know? I mean, I think, you know, I think it's like you, you learn that, you know, to, to weed people out pretty quickly, you know, those who really get you and those who don't. And I think, how do you weed people out? Well, I can tell you how I do it. When I'm at parties, I you I make up words, and if nobody asks me what they mean, <laughs> then I'm like, "You're definitely not my friends." You're not paying attention. No, so yeah. I'll just be like, I'll be like, you know, it's so funny. You know, sometimes I reciprocate. You know, uh, you know, when I'm doing my work, I feel very reciprocated, and 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 nobody says it. And people are like, "Uh huh, uh huh," and I'm like, "You don't know what that means. It's not even a real word. We're not friends anymore." <laughs> I know that's because they're they're probably afraid that that they well, don't know what it of means. Of course, that's the whole thing. So yeah. people I want to be friends with will be like, "I don't know what that means. What the hell did you just say?" And I'll right. be like, "It's nothing. We're done with these people. You and I come over here." Right. <laughs> so how do you how do you how do you weed, weed people the people out. out? I think it's just like someone. I can just look at their face and see if the light is in their eyes. And I can just see if they're like lit up and if they're like who they are. And I think people who are, you know, lit up just just aren't afraid to be themselves, even if it's weird or zany or kooky or silly or whatever it is. If they're if if they're like if there's like a sparkle, I just I'm drawn to that. And I think most people are drawn to the sparkle. But I, I you know, I, I, I just think that sometimes it's easy to mask it and pretend that you're, you know, you're totally secure and you're totally confident and you're totally this and you're totally that when you're not. And I just feel like I've just always been able to sniff it out only because I have a twin who is my sort of like check. I'm just like, wait, that's, that's, that's real. Okay. This is not real. <laughs> so, and then I can, you know, it just, and then of course those who are trying really hard to be cool, we end up not really hitting it off because it's just like, I just don't have... I just don't know how to be pretentious, you know? And so that's the thing. And I think if there's ever a second where you're trying to do that, like I said, my twin sister slaps me in the face being like, what are you doing? And I do the same thing to her. So I think 39 years later, we're both like, we kind of can't help but be exactly who we are. Oh, no, no, no. You're 40 now. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Mickey's birthday is January 26th. That's right. So... so it's true. You're 40 now. Wow. Oh my God. I'm, I'm, in, I'm looking Happy the future. Happy birthday. Thank you. <laughs> We're in the future. I'm Marty McFly. Oh my God. I so have you ever been rejected? Because well, authenticity, like, if you're really going to put your, the thing is people are afraid to be authentic, myself included. You know, this is what we find. Like, it's hard to put ourselves out there and say, actually, you know, I want you to spank me or actually like, I think that I want to sleep with somebody else or yeah. actually I don't like it when you kiss me like that. Yeah. You know, because being authentic also creates a space I mean, for real rejection. Yeah, and so I, being I, that authentic, I mean, what does rejection feel like? I mean, I will say right now, I mean, most recently I experienced a deep, deep rejection. I mean, I was, I was, you know, dishonorably discharged from my own company, you know, and that was a really painful, you know, experience where I've never experienced, you know, being bullied in my life. I've never be in, experienced being, you know, um, 
bullied by the media, bullied by people, just by by women. It was just like a really wild experience. I was completely out of out, it was just out of my my control. I couldn't even it was so it was such a wild experience. And I feel like that was such a deep rejection. I was so confused as to why it was happening. And I think um you know, I think, but I think it was so important for me to go through that rejection because I feel like before that, I haven't had that kind of depth of betrayal and sadness and rejection in my life, mm -hmm. actually. I think I've been able to be, because like I said, I've always had friends and a twin and, and, and loving partners and, you know, a great family. And I just feel like I, I didn't have the ability to, to empathize too much with deep rejection until I experienced it myself just like a year and a half ago mm -hmm. with my own company. Yeah. So, you know, I think that's why I, I, I was so, you know, like initially so like hurt by it and so, and, and, you know, and like so confused and angry and sad, but then, but then I'm like, Oh, like that's what, that's what rejection feels like. That's what betrayal feels like. Oh, that's what, you know, deep pain feels like I'm so grateful I got to feel those things because like, you know, there's this great quote by, I keep forgetting which is it words, words worth. I forget which, which poet, but it's someone. Which old said, white guy. Old white guy said like, I want to skid to death's door sideways, all banged up, not in a well-preserved body, you know, having experienced every single thing in my life. And I think prior to this experience, I was in a bit of a bubble, you know, really love, like overall pretty, pretty great, great life experience and i think this gave me a depth of you know of of a new a new side of of the world like you know like really you know just being accused of things that were just so crazy and bizarre I mean, i was pregnant i was five months pregnant at a time with you know of course engaged to andrew who i've been with for eight years and it was just like from for me and my community it was and including you who was so I'm going to cry because you were so there for me. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> um, did not expect this. Yeah, but how did you heal? And I know we're still you. healing. How do we? But okay, so there, there's no, people. Friends. Yeah, there's community. Yeah. Yeah. And so healing from rejection, healing from loss is like, you know, like that's that's so much of our journey, right? It's just how do we manage suffering, right? Buddha says like, you know, life, just, is, life suffering. is suffering. It's just like w the management of it is the game, you know, that's it. That's how we do it. And so I feel like, you know, you know, talking about this, you know, situation that you've gone through, you know, I think that we're at a point now where it's like, okay, how do we learn to heal? You know, we can't, we can't like talk about like right or wrong and she said, she said and any of that. It's just like, how do we heal? No, I, and I, you're I healing know. through community. That's it. Okay. All right. So what is that? And, and, and how have you I cultivated, mean, I, how have you cultivated this community? How have you done that? Because this is the, people one. are lonely. You know, I, I sit know. there in this circle and people are just, they're suffering, but they don't have the community, yeah. you know? So how have you built the support system yeah. in the community? What can we learn around yeah, how to do that? I mean, I think it's, it's one by one. And I think for me, it's been nine years of being like, oh, you're lit up. Look at your face. It's so bright. Like, it's so clear. It's so... It's just, I'm so moved by what you're doing. And then I'm like, you know, you want to be my friend? And then you like organize, you organize dinners, you organize meetups, you organize hangs and you make sure that they're, you know, that, that like they're, they're your special guest, you know, and then you do it, you meet another person. You're like, oh my God, you have to meet this, my, my other friend. And then you meet each other. And then all of a sudden you're like a mini tribe. And then you, you slowly introduce new people. And I think as you're meeting people in, as I met with people in my life, 
I just one by one like brought them in with my sister my sister went and found people too and then eventually like if it's three or four of us then we all went and found lit people like when we meet each other like, oh my god that person's amazing and then all of a sudden we're like 80 people you know and mm-hmm. um and it's an incredible powerful beautiful tribe when i went through this deep painful you know rejection of an experience i went through a year and a half ago I had friends like come over, including you, come over like one time at a group of friends, 20 friends came in with a boom box, flowers. Mm-hmm. And like, were you there? Mm-hmm. You were there mm-hmm. playing music and dancing around me as I mm-hmm. wept in everyone's arms. And it was so beautiful and so poignant, and so powerful. I got calls from top CEOs and founders of huge companies. You know, obviously John Mackey, founder of Whole Foods Market was like, welcome to the club. You know, like you, you, you know, you learn that you're you, like, you know, you, you know, you're a business when you you deal with this kind of shit, you know, and same thing like Sally Krawcheck, you know, who just founded Elvest. She called me as well. Um, Mindy Grossman, who's the, you know, the CEO of Weight Watchers called me and she was like, you got this sister. Like, you know, all of Harley Finkelstein, you know, co-founder, COO of Shopify called me. It was just like, you know, here's what I did when I went through this bullshit. Yeah, people you love know, you. It's just like, it was just one after another. I got food, I got flowers, I got pretty much like, I my house, I of course just had the baby. I was just pregnant and then like going through and then had the baby. So between pregnancy and baby, I had someone over at my house pretty much every day for a whole year. Yeah, it was. Yeah. I mean, if you, and you were topless story, and, and breastfeeding. <laughs> walking yeah. into Mickey's house at that point, she's walking around. You thought you were in like uh, National Geographic. <laughs> uh, you're just walking around. Yeah. Just boobs out. Yeah. Baby latch. And it's so it was so interesting because like one of the things that you know, I was, you know, like, you know, like taken down for was like, you know, like talking about breasts in a company. And I'm just like, yeah, like, you know, we're liberated people. Like it's all about, you know, like we're, we should be able to talk about breasts in a liberated way. All of a sudden it's been over-sexualized by the patriarchy and that's why we can't talk about it. And women themselves are so deeply wrapped in the patriarchal system and conditioning that like, you know, that they can't even liberate themselves by talking about breasts. For me, it's just like, yeah, when I had my baby and I just wanted to have my boobs out, all of my friends, guys, girls didn't matter, came to my house. I was topless because I was breastfeeding and super proud of them. On my Instagram, I was pretty much breastfeeding all the time because I'm like, you know what? If you want to fucking talk shit about me, like trying to liberate breasts and talk about breasts in a way that's just non-sexual, but just like talking about them like there are things like, oh, how much does your breast weigh? Oh, how much does my breast weigh? Oh, is that sex? No, it's like, oh, you don't wear a bra and I don't wear a bra, but how big are your breasts? Oh, how big are my breasts? Oh, you, you're like a triple whatever E and you don't wear a bra. Like how much do they weigh for you not to wear a bra? Like, is that considered <laughs> sexual? No. And guess what? what? Now what do we see? Now what do we see? It's, it's so like, funny. Aaron said to me the other day, I we were at a friend's house who had just had a baby and she's sitting there and she just takes out her boob and she starts breastfeeding. And I've noticed some of our friends who are having babies and they're posting photos of themselves breastfeeding. And I remember saying, I'm like, I'm like, do you see what's happening right now? This is called fucking Mickey syndrome, okay? <laughs> like, they've all been infected. And so I think that, but that's the thing. And that's why I go back to what I said. Like, you start conversations, and by starting conversations, you can make a lot of people uncomfortable. Right. But, and but... You can also inspire. Yeah, then they're inspired. They're inspired. Yeah. And so you managed to do that. And I think that, you know... And I think the lesson about building community is so important because like if you're going to start those conversations, 
then sometimes there is going to be rejection. And when you face that rejection, it sounds like you really need people in your life to hold space for you and love you. And what happened with this guy on SNL? Can you tell us what happened with (laughs) SNL? Because I don't know if any of you missed it. This is just like, I was away. I remember that you shared the video. I was just sitting there. I'm looking at this. I'm like, this is crazy. How does she manage to do this again? What happened with SNL and with the the Tushy ads? Well, so, I mean, so... So first, like two and a half years ago, the New York City public transit system banned our our subway ads from my previous company because, you know, of using the word period on the subways. And then we fought the MTA. We won. But then we had a big, gigantic viral moment about it where that actually took the company from small business to a gigantic business. That was such a huge thing for us. And then most recently we got uh, for my new company, Tushy, for my bidet company, we got rejected by the subway again because they said a bidet is a sexual product. And we're like, okay, but but it is a clean. It cleans your. It washes your butt. It's actually the opposite of sexual. <laughs> so we got rejected, and so we, we took the story to the um, to we, we took the story, you know, to anyone, any press who who'd be interested. And 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 uh, my CEO Jason, his uh, one of his friends, wrote for the New York Daily um, New York Daily News, and he published an article that said, you know, like MTA ads flush, you know, MTA flushes these ads down the toilet or something like that. And we didn't realize that SNL actually reads all the New York dailies to find funny, weird things and then pulls them for their weekend update. And so with that, we didn't know. It just happened where like Michael Che, who's the head writer on SNL, like who's obsessed with bidets, talks about on his Insta stories constantly, comes onto SNL Weekend Update, does the update himself and does like almost a three minute rant on why these ads should have been approved and why bidets are the most amazing things and how much he loves bidets and tushy and these ads and everything around it. And our sales just <laughs> blew so through crazy. the roof. Like so it, crazy. It amazing. And what's so cool about it and what, what I'm so proud of is that like just a year ago, nobody wanted to talk about bidets and now it's in the zeitgeist again. Yeah. Everyone wants to talk about it. Like Goop just did like, you know, like bidets are making a comeback. You know, where's the bidet been? Like Wire just la- you know wrote three articles about it. Adweek is posting stuff about our ads with our weird butthole character. I mean like, you know, the New York Times, Atlantic Vice, we were on the cover of Vice Magazine uh, on, the, on the front page, you know, because of our, uh, you know, we call mm. it the year of the asshole. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just like one of the things that I'm so proud of is like, you know, we have a strategy of inbound marketing which is just doing weird shit that that is just simply pressworthy so so to make this to bring it back to like our listeners you know i think that there's there's these parallels between like stepping out being authentic facing rejection nobody listening and then and then the people with the twinkle in their eye the people that really light you up the people that really see you and the people that can really help you elevate yourself that mm-hmm. they see it and they get it and, and they take hold it on. you to your highest right yeah. so like that's really interesting when you think about it from just like sort of our everyday pursuits of love and sex and that so often many of us put ourselves out there and authentically if we're brave enough to and we face that. We face that rejection and we can, you know, and, and, and then, you know, we, we uh, hopefully on our path find somebody who sees the twinkle in our eye and, and we see it in theirs and, and there's that connection. And so as somebody who's really boldly taken this journey as an entrepreneur and also in love, because I want to talk a bit about your relationship yeah. with Andrew, um, what practices do you have 
Um, and this is bringing it back to managing the suffering because I just think that that's like everything is like figuring out how, if I'm going to be my authentic self, I have to, I have to manage the fucking rejection and I have to, ma and I have mm. to continue to cultivate self-love. And so I know that you've become like, I know that you meditate. I know that you, you are now like, because of the thyroid, uh, issues, you've really gone deep into nutrition and all these other things. What are your sort of self-love practices so that you can really just take care of Mickey because being being somebody who's willing to be authentic and put themselves out there um, in pursuit of the their great work or their great love there's just a there's a that's a that's a it's a lot it's hard so what are the things that you do to take care of you really truly it's 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 not it's nothing more than being with my people I, I really believe that like spending time with you spending time with my friends mm. it really fills me up yeah that's like that's like uh, Rada, Rada's book, right? Rada's Belong. Book, Belong. That's it's, it. That's it. Like belonging, like it's like they say that the number one way to one of the number one ways to fight depression is to have to feel a sense of belonging, is to really have people around you who love you for who you are, love you for your silliness, for your zaniness, for your openness, for your loving openness, for your naivete, like all of it, you know. And I think there are there are people who aren't jaded, who will love the naivete, who will love the silliness who will love the childlike state of curiosity playfulness and awe will not take the shit that you say and do out of context and twist them in a fucked up way there are people out there who actually will care about you in a way that's authentic and true and real and that's that really is what saves me and mm. saves me every day over and over and over again. Andrew, my love, my partner, you know, the, my, my close, you know, we, we, we call our tribe the boom spiral because instead of a doom spiral, the, the opposite of a doom spiral, which, you know, in, in the financial terms, a doom spiral is when, like, that's how, like, the Great Depression happens and when, like, you know, something happens in the market and then all of a sudden everyone's selling and everyone's freaking out and it creates this crazy doom spiral and, you know, we, we, we created this thing called the boom spiral, which is the opposite of that is as a collective, like energy, a collective energy, you can create a positive boom, like a positive ripple, a positive tornado that can affect the world beautifully and positively, um, collectively together. And I think, you know, in our, in our community, we have, you know, the founders of SoundCloud, of Artsy, of like culture shifters, like people like you who are moving conversation around sex. We have like our friend Max Dossel, who's, who's a poet and who, who's really bringing, you know, talking about big issues through poetry. You know, Andrew, who started Tribute, you know, Rada, who started Daybreaker. I mean, like, it's really an amazing community of people mm. who are doing beautiful, magical things in the world to uplift the world, to make it a better place. So let's talk about Andrew. Yeah. Fucking, you love him. I love him so oh much. Oh my gosh. She loves him so much. She texts me sometimes. She loves his beard. She loves him. <laughs> I mean, it's just like, you fucking love this guy. I know. You guys have a wild story though. Yeah. I mean, it's a wild, wild story. It is. So well, like, in a hot, yeah. I mean, you know, the fucking crazy thing about love is that people believe in some sense that it's mystical and magical. And on the other sense, they're just like, and what are the five things I can do to hack it? And it's like, you can't hack magic. Like magic just happens and it's yeah. totally nonlinear. And your love story is so evident of that. So can you just tell us a little bit about this crazy story? Because yeah. I know everybody wants to know. Yeah. So, I mean, it's it started eight years ago at Burning Man. Well, actually, no, eight years ago at this entrepreneurship conference called Summit Series. Where we met at Summit at Sea 2011 through our friends Jeffrey and Satya. You know them. Mm -hmm. And so they introduced us. Andrew was 24. I was 31 at the time. So we were, were seven and a half years apart. He's, he's younger. And you're 40 now. And I'm 40 now. 
<laughs> what? It's so crazy even to say because I'm not 40 yet actually technically, I know, I know. but now... No, technically you no, are. technically right now I am. If you're listening to this, I'm she's 40. 40. <laughs> <laughs> like today. It's a cool because if you're listening to this, I'm 37. <gasps> Whoa, that's true. Oh, yeah. you're... I'm January 17th. Oh my God. Yeah. That's so cool. We're, we're getting old. I know. You look amazing. So do you. You really do. Not uh, a wrinkle. Not a wrinkle. On your face. I don't have that, you know, you are Indian, white. Japanese you're skin. Boy, you're pretty good. I'm man. saying you you're got good. a such a competitive yeah. advantage, genetically <laughs> speaking. Okay, um, so you're so, at Summit Series. So at Summit Series, we met, but I was like hooking up with two different guys. I just just became newly single, and so I was just you know hanging out, and so we just became friends, and we went to Burning Man together just as friends. I was going with my boyfriend. I was supposed to go with my boyfriend, um, who then decided he didn't want to go to Burning Man because it was against his religion, and so we immediately broke up. Um, and then um, Andrew and I went just as friends. Rada and Bill, her boyfriend at the time, were supposed to go too, but then they they ended up not working out. They ended up not coming. And so Andrew and I, just the two of us, went as completely as friends. And he was staying in a tent, and I was staying, you know, in an RV with a bunch of random people. And um, and he made it really clear that he just wanted to be friends because he was moving to Chicago the day he got back from Burning Man. And that's when I was like, challenge accepted. <laughs> <laughs> You just want to be friends? Challenge accepted. Nobody friend zones Mickey Agarwal. <laughs> I'm like, what a smart kid. Good job. Um, create creates that you know that like chase. Um, and so uh, we we went to Burning Man, and within um, within three days we were married. And by whoa, Reverend Fuckpocket. Well, did we skip the pillow fort? Oh yeah. So. <laughs> So before we get to Burning Man, we um, you know we, we stayed in a hotel room together, but we just in a, in just for one night. And so he he was like, you know, it was only a hotel room. We both were still like budding entrepreneurs and didn't want to splurge for two two rooms. So it was one bed. And so he like literally built a pillow fort between us, so we wouldn't you know like be urged to hook up. And I was like, oh my god, this is so and I like kind of reached under the pillow fort, just just like boop, touch him, and then. We just laughed and that was it. We nothing happened. We get to Burning Man. First day, he wants to establish his independence and go off on, you know, go off with the guys and do mushrooms with the guys. And I was like, but I haven't done this yet. I want to do it with you. But he was like, no, you know, we're doing our separate thing. We're not going to be hanging out the whole time. And I was like, oh, all right. And so I go out with this. I go with this guy, this other guy, who, like this, this, you know, this, this rich guy who wants to like hook up with me. And he was like at four o'clock in the morning. He's like, you know, you want to check out my RV? And I was like, okay, I'll be right back. And then I like, go to Andrew's tent. And on my way to Andrew's tent, I like believed that he wouldn't be there. Like I really thought he wasn't going to be there because I thought he'd be hooking up with some other girl and establishing his independence and not being, but I looked into, I kind of like opened his little tent and peered in and there he was snoring by himself. And I was so overjoyed that he was by himself that I had like, I just wanted to like give him a kiss because I was so happy that he wasn't with another girl. So I kind of like go into his tent and just like kiss him on his lips just like while he's sleeping. <laughs> it was burning, man. You know, mm. these things are fine. Yeah. And he, he wakes up in a terror thinking I'm some crazy person who is, you know, 
And then, you know, he's like, I was like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I, 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 I'm fucked up. I don't know what I'm doing. And he's like, he was like, no, oh, Mickey, oh, I didn't know it's you. Just come lay with me. It's cool. It's cool. And the next morning, so we, we lay, lay down awkwardly. I'm super uncomfortable. I wake up super early the next morning. I leave his tent super awkwardly. And then I like see him at breakfast and I'm like, oh my God, last night, huh? Pretty, pretty drunk we were, right? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, hey, listen, okay, come on. Just, just like real talk for a second. Look, it's Burning Man. I swear to God, we're going to be friends. Like, we're not like we're not like after Burning Man. Don't overthink it. If you want to kiss me, like kiss me. If I want to kiss you, let me kiss you. Like let's have a good time. Let's not overthink it. I promise you, we'll be friends. It'll be cool. And he was like, "All right, fine." And so then that day, he kind of like let his guard down, and then he like took off his ugly big poncho that he was wearing and exposed his like beautiful body. And I was like, "Wow, he's really hot." And then we just had a really fun adventure together. And then like by that night, we were in love. <laughs> That night we were in love. Yeah, okay. and then two days, and then and then the, and then the next day we were like just had the most joyful, like l- like we were like newly fallen in love, mm-hmm. and then we decided that we were gonna like you know um, we were like we're so in love we should get married. We feel like you know this is like the appropriate <laughs> year, <laughs> and we found out that at Burning Man there's a thing called the Wedlock Ranch where Reverend Funk Pocket was marrying people. And so we, we basically go and find Reverend Funk Pocket and we said to him, we want to get married the next day at the Pier to Nowhere, um, which is this long pier in the middle of the desert that, that has sounds of, the, of like waves underneath it, like little, rec- like little like speakers, the sounds mm. of waves, so beautiful. And, and then we, would, we, we just hung out the first three days, we hung out there watching the sunset. We were like, that's where we wanted to get married. And so, so we said, Reverend Funk, Funk Pocket will meet you there at sunset tomorrow. And sure enough, we, we, you know, and, and uh, so Andrew and I split up the next day. We were, we were set to meet at sunset to get married by Reverend Funk Pocket. And Andrew, so I just met Andrew technically, really just knew him for like four days, literally. And he had this big, gigantic beard that covered his face. So I actually didn't even know what his face looked like because I really just met him. But mm-hmm. still, like, l- we loved each other. Like a Burning Man day is like a month, really, in real life. <laughs> and so, and so we, so I, what I didn't know was Andrew on his way to, coming to meet me to get married by Reverend, you know, on the pier, he ran into an, another group, a couple of guy friends who, and who opened his RV. This was like Peter Getty's son, like really wealthy guy with, with our friend Jameson. And they were like, where are you going? He's like, I'm getting married. And he was just wearing this like white tablecloth around his waist. And they're like looking like that. No, no, no. Step into my RV. And they like basically like have him step into his RV. They make him shave his face and then they basically give him a brand new baby blue seersucker suit to basically with a tuxedo shirt to then meet me to get married with me in. And so again, I never knew what he looked like underneath his beard. And like I didn't know him with the, anything but the white sarong. So I was late because I was like making up my own dress out of like a white chiffon like material that I bought from Walmart like before leaving. And so I was late and I had this made this like long white train for my like headpiece. Anyway, so I was like riding my bike really fast getting there with my tr- like white of my train, like, like, you know, kind of like fl- sailing in the wind. And then I'm like running up the pier because the sun was like starting to set. And then I'm looking for Andrew, I'm looking for Andrew. And then I see this like beautiful man, like, like looking at me with his like sparkly face, gorgeous face. And I'm like, wow, that man's gorgeous. But like, where's Andrew? <laughs> and it turns out that it was Andrew. Right. And, um, and then I was like, oh my God, I remember the whole time Reverend Funk Pocket was talking, I was just looking at him being like, wow, you're so handsome. <laughs> I love you. This is 2011. 2011. Cause I remember what's funny is that, so I met Mickey at the first daybreaker 
And I loved you so and much. I meet the her just the minute. I, I walked into this thing. I didn't know anybody. All of a sudden, I meet her, and I she and I start talking. And I just remember I was just like, she's like, why aren't you dancing? We start talking. Mm-hmm. And, and she was... You're wearing uh, a green t-shirt. <laughs> she says something like, I'm... Uh, she's like, you should meet my partner. Uh, we're married and we're, we're, we've been Burning Man married twice. <laughs> I've never been to Burning Man, which is always shocking to everybody. Which you're coming with us. At some point. At some point. Um, but that was how I remember. That was how we met. I have my partner and we're Burning Man married. No, again, see, when I met you, I was like, this guy's got the sparkle. That was it. I wanted, that's it. Mickey it and like, I fell in love instantly. It was. It was complete, complete. So, so complete. Let's, let's, let's talk about, now we fast forward. You and Andrew have an interesting thing and it's your contract. Yeah. You, you have a like sex contract. Love contract. A love contract, but there's like some sexual stipulations. Yes. And what are those stipulations? So our so our coach um, basically moderated this love contract because I happen to have a more voracious appetite than he does. And so... Um, for and, sex. For sex, just with him, you know? And so... And so, because I just find him to be so attractive. I just want, I just love him so much. Anyway, and so, <laughs> and so I, I, like, it was my I preference. like to say that I believe in premarital sex and postmarital masturbation. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, <laughs> so, okay, so. So, so basically, so I would, I, I was, I would like to have sex. I would, I told him I'd like to have sex like four to five times a week. He wanted to have sex one to two times a week. He'd be perfectly happy with that. <laughs> So we met at two to three, two and a half times a week, which is like two to three times. Two and a half times? So one time, twice a week, the next time, three times a week, then the next time, two times a week. Okay, so it's got to be an average. There's no half a sex. Yeah, so it's it's average two to three, so two and a half times a week of sex. And then we have another one that I think is really important, which is four compliments a day. So we basically pay each other four compliments a day. Oh my God, you look so hot in that outfit. Oh my God, your butt looks so good. Wow, that your beard game is really straight. Oh my God, your eyes look so nice today. Like four things that you have to say to each other. It's just like, I mean, I love how you're with Hero. You're so cute with him. Just whatever. Because then you're like never taking each other for granted. And it just makes it fun because you're, you're like waiting for your compliments for the day. And who doesn't love to get compliments? I love compliments. <laughs> Words of affirmation, one of my love languages. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so four compliments a day, and we've been doing that for like the last, you know, seven years or so. Which is wait, been, you've had this contract for seven years? Well, we've well, no, we've had the contract for like six years, but we've been doing the compliments thing for longer. So you've been having sex two and a half times a week for six years. Yes. Wow. Yes. Okay, so how do you navigate those moments when you're like one of you? I'm assuming it's possibly him because you're yeah. the voracious one um, is like, I don't know if I, I like, how do you, how do you, you know, get in the mood if you're not in the mood? So we have a thing. What's the thing? The thing is that I have to help him wake up because I'm a morning, morning sex person. So I have to like pull his hair. So we do a hair pull and then we call it when I do a backy pressy downy. So I do a thing where I pull his hair. Backy Pressy Downey will be the subject line of the email that this goes out <laughs> in. Just throwing it out there now. Yeah. Backy Pressy Downey. Okay, what is a Backy Pressy Downey, Backy Pressy Downey is just like a back massage, but you're like pressing down. It's kind of like almost a Thai massage where you're using your whole weight um, and you're just like, you're just massaging his back and massaging his, massaging his whole body. And then you massage his, you basically pull his hair to wake him up a little bit. You kind of like hold and pull and you hold because guys like to have their hair pulled most guys that I anyway I think do you 
I don't know. I mean, a little. I don't know. It depends on how I hard. Li- I really like you without your hat on because it exposes your beautiful hair. And I like hair. you you without your hat on. You always have your hat on. That's true. I do have a hat on. Uh, this woman tells me constantly not to wear a hat, and she is known for wearing hats. <laughs> and they're always bigger know, and bigger. you have such nice hair. You have beautiful hair. Okay, and it's well, gotten so long. You, you cut it. I mean, it was short. Right? Yeah. It was really, after Time crazy, is really going by. After all the crazy shit went But down here we mind. are. Yeah. I'm cutting off my hair. Yeah. <laughs> I get it. Yeah. Um, so so you do the backy downy, pressy downy, and then I pull his hair, and then um, the I hair mis- pulley, the hair pull, and then I massage his arms to get his arms ready because he has. To, then, then like, then he sits up, and then he tickles my body, and then he like gives me like multiple orgasm. He like opens up my flower, <laughs> and, then, and then he gives me multiple orgasms, and then he gives me multiple orgasms. He like then. How like, does he do that? With his hands. With his hands. Yeah, with his hands, and then like he. He's just so good, and I just love it because it's he he's, he puts one hand on my belly to kind of get pressure, and then he uses the other hand and he finds my spot that that you know. Then he like mm-hmm. gives me like he lets my like flower open up. We never use lube because we don't need to because I get so like wet. Because people who use lube is because you know there's a stat that it takes almost forty five minutes to f- open a woman up. Not not for me. Depends like you know if you if you're really good at. Um, really learning how to relax and open your, your your yourself up. It can be as fast as like fifteen minutes, but fifteen to forty five minutes is standard to like really open up a woman's you know vagina. Didn't you guys go to the? Didn't you guys try uh, orgasmic meditation? We did. We did. But what happened? No, we did do did it. Did you enjoy we it? We loved it. Oh, okay. It was great. We we did it in a group setting, which we thought not group as in like we did orgasmic meditation with other people, but we did it like where Andrew we 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 like joined this did this audio recording like four couples, and then we would do it on our own like together like me and Andrew would do it separately, and then Rod and Eli, and then you know you know our other friends right, would right. do it, and then and then we would meet up like the next day and just talk about our experience. No, but I thought you went to the Ohm thing. Oh. Yeah, yeah, and you no, guys no, left. No, no, I no, we, no, no, that we went to this thing in person, and we that's left. what I was talking and it was, about. Yeah, it was, I know that you no, read did, Tantra. The, you read the book. You read the Urban Tantra. That right, was right, amazing. Right. No, no, but yeah, we went to this. It's a great book. It was amazing, and she, she's, she's mad. Barbara Corellis is an amazing. Um, you know, she does. She teaches you how to do. Yeah, Kundalini I mean, she's yoga. a real she's Tantra. Educator. She's total Tantra, and that was amazing. Tantra thing was amazing but the no yeah we tried to do the om it wasn't even it was like we were there for like 15 minutes and it was made us so uncomfortable that we, we left right it just wasn't um it was like a, it was like neon lights you're sitting in classroom chairs like there was no vibe it, it just didn't feel sexy at all and it was like i thought i thought the guys are gonna be putting on the gloves and like trying showing like doing the oming 15 minutes on the clip like None of that. I was just sitting there, like listening to like one person speak at you. I just didn't like. Have it. you been to Mama Gina's thing? Not yet. I feel like I feel like that's 2019 for you. Cool. I feel like it's gonna be. I've had so many people who have told me all about it. I can't go. I don't have a vagina. But I know she wrote. She, her, we have the same publisher. Hay House wrote Pussy Reclamation uh, or published. Great Pussy. book. I read it. You read it. How is it? It's great. Amazing. I think that I don't know how many men have read it. I read it though, and uh, and it's you know, and it's it's interesting. You know, I think that. Books, some of the most important books I think men can read. And by men, I, I'm really talking to like cisgender, heterosexual men. Um, yeah. I, you know, I, I think the most important and books. And the way that, the superior man is definitely on a decline because, like, yeah, know, that's not, that's, that's not, not necessarily a, a, you know, something that, that resonates with me. But I think that, um, I think that uh, the books that are written, specifically for women are the books that 
I've found have been the most inspiring on my journey. Mm. And um, Pussy, a Reclamation is is definitely one of those books. Yeah. So it's, it's yeah, it's a, it's a great one. But I think you would probably enjoy her uh, thing. We've had a number of people who are educators through that system who have been to our town hall and, and told stories and it's, it's pretty wild. Have you always had these types of like very open conversations with partners about sex? Like you and Andrew are talking about, like, like it sounds like you've got, like, you know, you've, you know, like you know what he wants, he knows what you no, want. You no, 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 no. In my twenties, I was in college. I definitely, I mean, I, 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 in college, I dated a, a guy who really Zach, you know, and who, who like was very empathetic, who like wanted to, to please, you know, and 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 when I graduated from college, I dated another guy who's really an architect. Architects are really like focused, and so he was really, you know, like conscious and thoughtful, and took his time and was so loving, and um, that was that was amazing. Um, and and then after him, I dated a series of like a couple of guys who were just like wanted to have like pornographic sex and just like unsexy not intimate um just wanted to like fuck doggy style it was just like really not it was just not at all what i wanted and i just until i then met andrew where you know it it, it took a minute to really get into sort of the to really get you know in sync with what our chemistry was because actually a couple of years you know andrew we talk about it openly and he was you know really addicted to porn when we first met and it took two years to really have him stop watching porn and, and or, or as an addiction um you don't like porn you don't watch porn right is that something well that actually it's interesting it's interesting or is it shifting I, now it's shifting now what are you watching i'm not i'm not watching any porn okay but i but asa akira is has become a friend of mine who's a porn star mm-hmm. and she's just an incredible badass like cool just legit woman and i it's not that i've just it's not about it's not that i i hated porn so much as, as how it really affected our relationship where i felt like he was choosing porn over wanting to be with me because it's easier you just jerk off and you're done versus like spending time pleasuring your woman up downy whole, ba- miss- it's what, a whole thing what was it called know? backy da- pressy backy back, pressy, backy pressy down- there's no backy pressy downies i know it's just okay. a quick it's a, right. it's a crotch sneeze like right a couple pumps crotch sneeze max taught me that yeah i taught him that oh really yeah oh geez yeah. it all comes for a full circle <laughs> okay go ahead and um yeah and so um and so, yeah, so it took it that. So that was my, my whole thing with porn was just that, like, I felt like, you know, it, it felt a little. Well, I mean, it also feels like, you know, when you're looking at a catalog of different women's asses and breasts and different, you know, like like vaginas getting penetrated. It, it felt like it wasn't really honoring the sacredness of our relationship. But I also understand now, I mean, that, um, you know, like that 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 everyone's built differently you know and that some people you know that sometimes a bit of variety keeps your 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 relationship sexy and hot mm-hmm. maybe you know I, I i think oftentimes men do compartmentalize porn with you know sex with their with their with their with their partners because they're like that's like stress relief and that's something they've known for so long and then this is more of an intimate experience so they're, they're two completely separate things but sometimes it, it when it coincides there's that what's like scarlett johansson movie called that that was just so amazing about porn um oh my god come on you didn't watch that movie with the with the guy who 500 days of summer 
Um, oh, you're talking about Don Juan? Don, Don, John, Don John. Don John. Don John was one. Have you seen it? I have. It was one of the best movies, and I think it helped Andrew and I so much, or helped see like yeah. what porn was doing to our relationship. Very, yeah, that you know, like this, Oh, so brilliant. And um, how, you know, Don John, how, how the guy, he got the hottest girl ever, Scarlett Johansson, and still would sneak away from bed to go and jerk off to porn. Because, yeah. like, sex became mechanical for him. And then he just completely, you know, and she just was like, are you watching, por-? like, what the fuck? And then it just kind of broke up their relationship with the most beautiful, like, perfect woman for him because mm-hmm. he just chose porn over her. And so I feel like, again, an addiction is it's like same thing if you're addicted to pot like smoking pot every once in a while it, it opens your mind smoking like doing mushrooms every once in a while opens your your mind up doing it like you know like like it's like or alcoholism you know like having a drink when you're like you know for to, to celebrate something is fine but like when you're addicted it's a problem yeah you know it's not good and i think when it when it starts to interfere with your with your actual relationships your daily life you know, that's when it's, that's when it needs to be checked. And I think a lot of men are addicted to porn because they've been doing it for so long and not having a forum to speak about it until you, um, Woo-woo. yeah, until, until touch point when I think it's, it's so important. And for him, he didn't, he didn't really have that space. And so now he, you know, over the last seven years of our, you know, eight years of our relationship, the first two are really challenging, but now he can give me like, like this morning, he gave me like 11 orgasms. He can do it every single time. 11. Eleven. Eleven orgasms. Eleven. Just like one after another, after another, after another, after another. It's just amazing. That's a pretty mystical number. It is. Eleven orgasms. Yeah. I think on on that note, we're gonna say, uh, Touchpoint family, the book is called Disrupt Her. And um It comes out today. It comes out today. And I'm super excited. Oh, and if you want to watch the video of me coming out the of the vagina. The fucking video of this woman coming out of a vagina and then performing this incredibly eloquent and insightful and inspirational poem about, you know, us stepping up into the world and being our most fullest, most actualized selves to do our great work is a must see. And that is at disrupther.co, correct? Yes. Okay. So, uh, Mickey, I love you. I love you too. Thank you so much for hanging with me. Yeah. And, um, we'll see you guys next week. Yay. Thank you for listening to Touchpoint. You can learn more about us at lovetouchpoint.com and follow us on Instagram at at lovetouchpoint. Have an inspired day and we'll see you next week.